Amen, amen indeed. What a powerful song, an amazing way to lead us into God's Word together this morning. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is wonderful to be gathered here together today and to be able to share in all the things that God has in store for us and just to be able to enjoy relationship and fellowship and worship and all the amazing things uh, that God is doing. God is alive. He is working. He is moving, and it is exciting to see the things that he is doing. And this morning, we have something a little bit different to talk about, a little bit special. We've been walking through uh, this series yesterday, today, and forever, trying to understand how God is consistent, how he is the same from the beginning, from creation all the way through the church and the life of his people and the different things that he's doing. And today, and reaching into eternity, God is the same. God is the same. His love, his grace, his mercy, his power, his mission, his heart, all of these things, God is consistent and he is walking with us, consistent, with us consistently. And so we have something that we're going to talk about this morning. It's big, it's exciting, it's different. If there was ever a day the live stream was going to go down, this is it. And uh, we'll see how it goes, but uh, know that if it does go down, we're going to, I'll preach it again if I have to, and everybody's going to be so enraptured that they'll even stay in here twice. I might have to preach it to an empty room. We'll see. I'm not that interesting, I know. Uh, but this morning, we have something extremely important to talk about. And, and unlike, unlike other times. Uh, but this morning, we want to talk about leadership. About what leadership in our church looks like. And I'm not resigning, even if you're hoping for that. Sorry, I'm not going anywhere. How God views and understands leadership. And what he is doing in the world is he seeks to bring us in line with his kingdom and his vision and his nature. Now, this is a process that started a couple of years ago. Pastor Dennis began this conversation with us together as he preached through the change of perspective that he had gone through. And he invited us as a church to pray and seek together as the leadership would be exploring how we defined leadership and eldership in our church and what we believed about the partnership of men and women together in the kingdom of God. Now, some of you may not remember all of that, but as leadership, we have taken this extremely seriously. We have been praying and studying and seeking God for the last couple of years, Seeking what his spirit and his word are calling us to understand and to affirm. And along the way, we've had some other pretty big discussions and things going on in the life of our church. Again, God is moving and there's big stuff happening. We walked through our succession plan. That all seems like a thousand years ago already, doesn't it? And we've been navigating COVID now for the last 18 months, and we've been having huge and important conversations as a board and a leadership together through all of this. It's been a heavy season. And once again, I've said it so many times, but now it's, it's as still as true as it ever has been. I cannot say enough just how impressed and encouraged I am by this church body by the unity and faithfulness and peace and joy that we have shown together, caring for one another in our community well through these huge things that we've been walking through. It's been absolutely amazing and a real testimony to the movement of the Spirit of God in this place, transforming lives and bringing His kingdom here. 
But while all this has been going on, the leadership team has been continuing to pray and study and explore this idea of leadership and the role of men and women in the kingdom of God, what God is calling us to do. What his spirit is leading us into and where he is inviting us to follow him. Now from the beginning of Leduc Fellowship Church, we have had women involved in the leadership of our church body. Over the years, we've had many women on our elder board and on our staff team providing leadership and speaking into the vision and direction of ministry that we feel that God is calling us to pursue together. From the time of our original LFC pioneers when they moved on from Temple Baptist all those years ago and they started meeting in basements and trying to decide if they would even continue as a unique church family at all or if they would join another one of the body of believers that God was working through here in Leduc to deciding, no, that they felt called, that we are supposed to continue as a unique church family together. That God has something special for us to do. And so they started to rent the Kinsman Center and then the Telford House and then the Elks Hall, which now is where we're meeting. Some people, it still is the Elks Hall. Women were involved in the leadership teams that were prayerfully making those decisions and leading our church family and our desire to walk intimately with God and invite others to journey with us. LFC has had women in leadership and on the elder board from the beginning. But a number of years ago, there were individuals who came into leadership who disagreed with this perspective. And as a result, over a period of time, we lost the presence of women on our elder board. And we've had a season now in the life of our church where we've only had men on our board. And as a leadership team, we weren't comfortable with this. And so Pastor Dennis began this discussion with our board a number of years ago that we needed to explore and understand what we truly believed as a church and affirm together our heart and vision for leadership here at LFC. And as it has been a number of years, and we so easily get used to whatever is, we wanted as leadership to be really careful to approach this issue with our church family with a heart of unity and peace and a desire to affirm that we want to be able to worship together even if we have a difference of understanding on some things. Jesus is God. The Bible is God's word. Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. These are things we hold with a closed hand. These are foundational pillars of the church and of following Jesus. But on so many other things, we see a wide variety of expressions of the Spirit of God within the church. And it is amazing to see how God is at work in these ways. And so that began a fascinating journey through the scriptures and in prayerful consideration with the Spirit, seeking to understand God's heart for leadership and what he was calling us to pursue as a church family. It really was an amazing journey. And it really revealed such incredible things about what God is doing in the world and in his church. 
God's heart through all of Scripture is to build and restore, to empower and transform and engage relationship and community and to bring us back to what he created us to be. And that's where our journey began, right? In the creation story. Adam and Eve in the garden with God together. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were created to express who God is together. In relationship, in our very nature, reflecting the relationship that God is in himself, three in one. Each fully God and a part of each other together. We were created in his image to reflect him together. And our relationship was so deep and profound and unique. They were naked and they felt no shame. Again, as we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, God is telling us here just how deeply and fully we saw one another, how intimate and complete our connection was to one another. No shame, no insecurity, no competition, no fear. Men and women were created in complete unity. And that is what sin destroyed more than anything else. And God knew it far more than we could understand. And he told us what he saw. When Adam and Eve sinned, God revealed to us the consequences of our sin, what our sin was going to do to us and to the world. Some of those things were consequences and punishments that he imposed. I will do this, he says. But some of the things he talks about are natural consequences of the division and pain that sin was going to bring into our lives and in our world. If I get drunk and I drive a car into a tree, that's not God's judgment upon me. That is a natural consequence of my sinful decision. And so God saw in our sin in the garden as well that things were naturally going to happen. Some of the curses God says, I will do this. But many of them God simply describes how our sin has caused destruction and division. And to the woman in particular, he has both of these things. First he says, I will increase your pain in childbearing. God is imposing a consequence for sin. But then he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Here, God is describing a consequence of sin, not imposing something. God saw that our sin would divide us. That the depth and intimacy and freedom of relationship that we enjoyed with one another was irreparably damaged. No longer would we see one another as he had created us to be. But we would see each other with shame and fear, insecurity and jealousy, competition and domination and guilt. 
And I think we can see the fruit of that reality. In our own lives and all around us, we can see plainly what that broken relationship looks like. But that's not what God intended. That's not what he created. And from that moment on, God was working to restore our relationship with himself and with one another. And the church is supposed to be a part of that restorative work as we seek to embody his kingdom and his mission together. And it's not just gender roles. All through scripture, God is elevating people and breaking cultural norms, coming into our sin-made, broken systems and cultures and structures, and he's bringing hope and peace and life and connection. God speaks to slavery, culture, gender, parenting, leadership, authority, governance, property ownership, justice, money, on and on and over and over. God is stepping into humanity's mess. And speaking truth and restoration into that place. Seeking to lead and direct his people to reflect more and more who he is and what he intended in creation to the world around them. And all the way through, God has consistently called women to lead and to speak into that new and restored reality. Not as much as the stories we have of men leading in Scripture. Again, God was working within their world and their culture, but we have countless examples of God calling women to leadership in His kingdom. Moses' sister Miriam was a prophet called and equipped by God who spoke wisdom and insight to Moses on God's behalf. In Judges chapter 4, Deborah was called by God to be the judge of God's people in Israel, the leader of the Israelites at that time. 2 Chronicles 34, Huldah was a prophet used by God to speak to King Josiah during the Reformation. God called Esther to stand before the king as his representative and to protect God's people. In the New Testament, at the dedication of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, God used the prophet Anna to speak words over Jesus and to proclaim to the people that the Messiah had come. All through the life and ministry of Jesus, women are elevated and empowered as Jesus moved against the natural structures of the world and the cultural norms of the time. He broke social and religious norms, showing that God's view of women was not the same as the world around him. He taught them, ministered with them, worked with them, met with them, and he was almost exclusively supported by them, practically and financially. Women are listed in the very genealogy of Jesus. Something unheard of for the time. God was making it clear that men and women were equally valuable and significant in the kingdom he was building and the transformation he was bringing. 
God chose women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection and to bring the first testimony of what God had done to others. The whole life and ministry of Jesus continually displayed how his kingdom is different from the worldly culture around him. And he continually upended worldly structures and priorities and established a new kingdom with new priorities. Outcasts, the unclean, the marginalized, foreigners, prostitutes, tax collectors, all were treated and viewed very different from what people were comfortable with and familiar with. The kingdom is different. And the church should reflect that. And it did. Paul himself talks about women in leadership. And he commends them a lot. In Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila are described as teachers and leaders in the church, a couple to whom other leaders, such as Apollos, even went for teaching and training. And enlisting Priscilla first, Luke is even communicating that Priscilla was the primary teacher of the two. In Romans 16, Paul lists Phoebe as a deacon, a leader in the church. He also calls Junia an apostle, and he even says she is outstanding among the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 1 and Colossians 4, Paul commends Chloe and Nympha for the work they are doing in the house churches they hold in their homes, and he lists and commends many other women for their work and partnership in the gospel and in the early church. In Acts 21, we're told that Philip, one of Jesus' apostles, had four daughters who were prophets in the church. And all through Scripture, in Isaiah and Acts and Joel and Revelation, God declares that men and women will speak His words to the people, that your sons and daughters will prophesy, and that even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. God has called and used women to lead and to teach in his kingdom right from the beginning and all through the life of the church. And they have been a critical part of proclaiming his word and leading his people all through scriptures. So, then, if all that is true, Why does Paul say what he does? 1 Timothy chapter 2. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Here Paul is saying, I don't permit a woman to teach or to be an authority over a man. And he goes on to describe eldership in the following chapter in masculine terms. And he tells wives to submit to their husbands again, suggesting a natural masculine authority structure. But all through his letters, he then also repeatedly praises women for their leadership and teaching in the church. Again, he talks specifically about 
Priscilla and Phoebe, Chloe, Nympha, Junia, Tryphinia, Tryphosis, Persis, and more. Listing them as leaders, deacons, and even apostles, and commends these women and more as partners in the gospel and for their teaching. And Paul would have been perfectly well aware of the many instances in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, which he would have had memorized as a Pharisee. That God had called women to lead and teach and prophesy. What is going on here? If Scripture doesn't contradict itself, and Paul wouldn't contradict himself in his own letters, how do we interpret his words here? Well, there's a number of important things for us to understand here. Two verses are extremely important and help us to place Paul's words in their appropriate context. First, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. One of the very earliest letters that Paul wrote. Paul says, in describing the kingdom of God, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is how Paul views the kingdom. And if this is true, his other words need to be read through this passage, indicating to us that he was speaking to specific concerns in a specific church or context. Secondly, again, in Ephesians 5.22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. But we usually leave out verse 21, where he says, right before that, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right after this, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. But this verse comes first, indicating verse 22 was not meant to put women in a subservient place, but that in the kingdom, wives and husbands should be submitting to each other. And Paul is doing a couple of things here. First, he was reacting to some things that were happening in the very early church. When again, they didn't have all the scripture and traditions and teaching experience that we have today. And so marriages were arranged and very difficult. And it was a very hard world for these women to live in. And so when they were becoming believers, they would sometimes abandon their families in their new freedom in Christ. Getting out of these very difficult situations sometimes. This was all happening in an extremely patriarchal Jewish and Roman culture. And hear me, I'm not talking about abuse situations and stay in those kind of situations. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. This is a very difficult, different context. But these women would become followers of Jesus. In their newfound freedom, they would leave their families, trying to pursue this freedom in new ways. The church was bringing change, but also chaos. And all of these things were very new. But elsewhere, Paul clarifies that following Jesus didn't release these people from earlier responsibilities and relationships and that they were supposed to stay to honor the commitments they had already made. The early church was complicated. And they were figuring things out as they went. And Paul is responding in two directions to real world issues in these passages. Submit to one another. Mutual submission in marriage. But also, wives stay and husbands treat your wives like Jesus would. 
With this in mind then, and seeing the world in which all of this was happening, the passages in places like 1 Timothy and Titus where he talks about leadership and eldership, we need to understand them in their proper context. Timothy and Titus in particular, these letters are not written to groups or to churches as a whole. They were addressed to individuals ministering in specific places with specific concerns. And it was addressed to individuals that Paul had a long and deep relationship with. He knew Timothy and Titus well. And they knew him. And while there is so much that we need to learn from these letters, we have to understand that Paul was speaking to Timothy and Titus about conversations and experiences they had shared together, things that we were not a part of and cannot know. If Pastor Dennis would write me a letter about becoming the lead pastor of LFC and the things that he thought would be important and that I would need to pay attention to, he would frame things in a way that I would understand because he and I have thousands of hours of conversation and ministry and experience and relationship together. And others would not understand all of the things that he said and the things that he's referring to that aren't clear. Let alone people 2,000 years in the future. Now this isn't remotely to say that we can't understand these letters. Of course we can. But we have to be extremely careful when we approach them because they weren't written to us first. They were written to these individuals. Paul also talks about slaves submitting to their masters and other things that we might find confusing and even offensive. How do we understand these things? He gives us a clue in one of those very letters in Titus chapter 2 as to his intent with some of these difficult or controversial teachings. He says, so that no one will malign the word of Christ. The church was born into a brutal and dangerous world. And the church experienced heavy persecution. Paul also wrote many of these things from prison, and his letters would have been read before he'd have even had a chance to send them. Paul is trying to help the church to live in a very oppressive, patriarchal Roman context. And while the kingdom might be one of freedom and life and equality, Roman culture was not. And he wanted the church to minister within that as best it could, witnessing to the freedom of Jesus in ways that people would be able to accept and understand. Paul's specific teachings in these regards then were never meant to be prescriptive for all the church for all time, but were meant to help specific churches operate well in their context. And this fits well with the rest of Paul's writing and teachings where he repeatedly elevates and commends women for the role they're playing in teaching and leading the church. That's a lot. That's a lot. 
It's powerful to see how the witness of Scripture and the Spirit of God has moved and spoken through time. Scripture is the foundation of truth in our understanding of God and the measure against which we test everything else. But we also have the witness of the Holy Spirit in our own lives and ministry today. We can see how God is at work so clearly here and now too. We know and have worked with so many incredible female leaders and pastors whose calling and gifting are obvious. Many of you will remember our regional minister, Jim Leverett, who led our association for many years. His daughter, Stephanie Fair, is a pastor at Greenfield Baptist in Edmonton doing amazing ministry in the kingdom. Many of you know Carol Potratz at Zion Baptist, an incredible leader and pastor and missionary in the kingdom and all around our denomination for decades. All of the missionaries we support here at LFC are women and are clearly called by God to the things that they're doing. Yuri Nakano, leading churches in Japan. Lindell Campbell, teaching in the seminary in Brazil and equipping pastors for ministry there. Cheryl Grinwald, leading ministries and training leaders all around the world. My own friend from our little Hilda Baptist down south there, Stephanie Schatz, is a missionary in Japan doing incredible work there, clearly gifted and inspired by the Spirit. Our own leadership council in the Alberta Baptist Association, under which ours and 60-some-odd churches falls, is made up of men and women, including our very own Penny Carlton. I'm her boss, and she's my boss's boss's boss. (laughs) They're leading our association of churches with our regional minister, Terry Fawson, and prayerfully seeking the direction of God and caring for our churches together. The testimony of the Spirit in our lives is that these women are absolutely called, gifted, and equipped by God for their roles as pastors and missionaries and elders and leaders. God is moving in powerful and profound ways, and these women are a part of that leadership. So, given all of that, How do we approach these passages and this issue as a whole? We've been exploring this year what it means that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the consistency with which God has worked and moved in the world to restore His creation and the relationship we were made for. God clearly believes leadership is extremely important and to be taken very seriously. And he has high standards for the character and spiritual maturity for leadership in his church. These must be individuals that are godly, have healthy personal and family lives. They must be equipped in teaching and care, shepherding and leadership. They must be humble and gracious, loving and servant-hearted, people of prayer and discipline, pursuing holiness who love the church and desire to see God's kingdom make a real impact in our world. But the testimony of Scripture, of the church, 
And our own experience would suggest that gender is not one of the aspects that qualifies a person for leadership. We send women everywhere around the world to plant churches, to teach in seminaries, to lead, and to build the kingdom. And we need them to do that here too. So as the board of elders of Leduc Fellowship Church, we believe that God is leading us to affirm women in the leadership of our church. We believe that leadership should be held to the highest standard and we want to affirm together as a church those individuals who display the spirit, calling, and character that God desires for the care and leadership of His church here at LFC. And we do not believe that gender is one of those qualifications. We want to invite you to pray hard for our leaders for our staff, for our elders, for their protection and for their equipping in the ministry to which God has called them. We also want to recognize that some may not agree with this direction. And we acknowledge that there are reasonable, Jesus-loving people who land in different places on this question. While it is an important issue, this is not an issue of salvation. The church is called to be united to love one another, and to follow Jesus together. When we have a difference of understanding of different things, we desire to worship together in the midst of those differences, continuously drawing closer to God and reflecting Him better every day. As His Spirit works in each of us, and together as a church to display His gospel of hope, in life. The first and most important part is following Jesus. And the question is, can we do that together in a difference of understanding of different things? And no matter what, can we pray for and support our leaders together? As an elder board, we believe that we can. And we believe that our church is stronger for the diversity of believers and backgrounds that God has gathered here at LFC as we seek to love one another in our community together. We want to invite you to share your thoughts and your questions. To talk to myself or to Ed Fulbrandt, our board chair, to Ron Ullman, our vice chair, any of our elders, we would love to talk to you if you have questions. And we want to invite you our whole church family, to a time of conversation and prayer next Sunday evening, October 24th, 7 p.m., so that we can talk together and most importantly, pray together for our leadership and for the places that God is leading us together as a family. I am excited. God's kingdom is so amazing and His Spirit is moving in powerful ways. We are seeing people transformed by his work and by our impact in our community as he works through us. And I am excited for the people that he is going to bring to invite, to speak into these things in new and deeper ways. God is good. And his word is true. And as we walk intimately with him and invite others to journey with us, I cannot wait to see what he is going to do. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are good.
We thank you for your spirit, that you are alive, that you are speaking and working and leading. And God, we pray for those who are in leadership, that you have called and set that mantle of responsibility upon. We pray for their protection. Pray for wisdom. Pray for love and gentleness. Pray for discipline. Clear hearts and minds. And God, as a church family, as we walk together, we pray for unity. We pray that your spirit would be in each of us and drawing us together, that we would hunger to understand you more, and that as we walk together, you would reveal yourself more and more clearly. We thank you, God, for your spirit and for your word, for the things that you are doing and saying, for the lives that are being transformed. And we pray, God, that you would continue to use us to care for people, to reach our community, to share your love and your hope. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.